0: You can thrive and live the life of your dreams just by having awareness of your true self. So,
1: dive deep with us, get inspired, and start living your life on purpose.
0: Hello, and welcome back to the Day Luna Human Design Podcast. We are really excited about today's episode because it's about a topic that has been really interesting to us, learning about the nervous system, learning about the way that our body responds to stress and overwhelm. So we have on a special guest who is going to be joining us today to teach us all about it. Her name is Natalie Bacon, and she's actually a former lawyer and certified financial planner turned mindfulness life coach, which we love because Natalie is actually a manifesting generator. So it was fun to hear about the different varieties she's had in her career life and how that's brought her to where she is now. Natalie has a five-star rated podcast, which has helped over a thousand clients in her program, Grow You, which helps women solve the challenges of motherhood from the inside out. After her own journey of going from a type A overworking person into finding calm and joy in her everyday life, she now helps her clients to do the same.
1: Yes, so this conversation talks about parenting. It talks about how to navigate overwhelm either as a parent or just an individual, it doesn't really matter, but this topic of parenting has been coming around and so many people asking, "Okay, but how do I live my design as a mom of 3 or a, you know, a family of 5?" So, really starting to talk about overwhelm and look at it with this new lens. I think this conversation is really helpful and just really enlightening in a different lens to use with human design.
0: Okay. So without further ado, let's welcome on our guest for the day, Natalie Bacon. Thank you so much for being here with us. How are you doing today? I am amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, us too. So we just were on your podcast and we've got to connect before this and we just love your energy. It's so much fun to get to connect with you. So we're really excited to have this conversation and for our listeners to get to tune into your wisdom, everything that you share and teach. So we'd love to start there. If you could just introduce yourself and share with our listeners a little bit about what it is that you do teach and share. Yeah. My name is Natalie Bacon.
2: I am a mindfulness life coach for moms. I didn't start off as this. I was an attorney and then a financial advisor and have sort of had many careers. I keep evolving my career. I'm a manifesting generator, as we were just talking about before this, and it really Fits um, with my my personality and my human design, and I am most passionate about serving moms and kind of helping them with their day to day problems of overwhelm and stress. And just personally, I would identify as so type A and kind of overwhelmed myself with with career and how to balance all of these things. And through my own work, I have really been able to calm that down almost to the point where I don't even identify as type A. Now my husband might tell you something different, but really these tools and practices have helped me manage my mind. So I'm not at the effect of my life, regardless of what is happening, and then tap into my body and really calm down my nervous system. And that's what I help my clients most with. I also have a podcast, Design Your Dream Life, as well as Grow You, which is my mindfulness community for moms.
1: Wow. So amazing. And honestly, the journey as a manifesting generator of getting out of your mind and into your body. Talk about just alignment and living your purpose as a manifesting generator. That is just so incredible. And I love that you have so many different things going on. Um, Being a parent is a big topic that has been coming around, coming around in all of our circles and communities and just talking about even how to honor yourself. I mean, in our community, it's talking about how to live your design, right? But it's the same thing, how to honor yourself as a parent though, still, and taking care of little ones and still like how to navigate that overwhelm while still honoring your own truth and and your needs and your alignment. So how has that journey been for you? And why has this kind of been something that you're so passionate about? Yeah, I think
2: I have always wanted to be a mom. Not everyone I know is like that, but for me, I'm the oldest of three. I am... Um, 36 now, and I'm a first time mom this year. So, you know, I really have always had this passion for moms, and I also had a passion for personal development. I have a minor in philosophy, so I've always loved, you know, those life questions. And, you know, along my career journeys, I've sort of combined all of these workings and I got certified as a life coach and then went on to do more body work certification. And what I've found is that the more I apply it to myself in my relationships, in my marriage, in motherhood, the better my life is. And I've seen that with clients. It's it's kind of one of those things where my gut just really feels called to help moms. I used to teach a lot of business and I still teach some business, but where I'm most passionate about and also where I have the expertise in is helping moms. And kind of an example I'm thinking of just with that question is I was just coaching someone who was so busy and feeling so activated and and said, I just don't have time for self-care. And what I coached her through was why? I think, you know, this is a generalization, but as women um, and as moms and in we were taught to prioritize everyone else. So her calendar was, okay, work, full-time for her, then all of her kids' activities, and then she's also, I call it for myself, the house manager, but she's cooking all of the meals. And so when she looked at her calendar, it was full, and it felt like it was happening to her. And so she didn't have that space for self-care. And one of the things that I helped her with was just taking a step back and asking questions like, why? Why is it that everyone else's activities are a higher priority than my own. And I think on default, we just think, oh yeah, the neighbor's kids are in gymnastics or the you know neighbors are, are doing this activity. So that means we should, and that's not necessarily a bad thing until our entire calendars become so full with that, that we're neglecting ourselves. I don't think it's that common to talk about oh, yeah, I'm blocking off two hours every Thursday or an hour every single evening for myself. Like Some of us might think, oh, is that that selfish? Or I can't even imagine doing that. That wouldn't work. And I think it's so important to change the narrative. So I prioritize a lot of self-care and I'm proud of that. And that makes me... It's not even about being a better mom. It's just I need to re-energize. It's about taking care of me as a human. Just like We want our kids in activities for their growth. Like growth doesn't stop once you're 30 or 40. It's let's keep growing. Let's keep evolving. Let's keep making sure we take care of ourselves.
1: Yes, absolutely. And talk about being a role model for your children, showing them what it looks like to take care of yourself and to prioritize your needs and to um, self regulate versus just giving yourself away to the needs of other people. It sets a beautiful example and it is a reframe. It's an absolute reframe because that's like the first question I think with any change in general especially when we're overwhelmed or burnt out, whether that's in your work, whether that's as a parent, anything that's new and kind of shifted how you're doing something is always how. Like that's not possible. You don't understand. I have a a newborn and a three-year-old and there's just, it's impossible. And starting to shift that perspective and be more of that observer of your current routine and life and experience and say, ask that question, why. I love that. To really start to see, okay, where can you make this shift and start changing these practices to make that space for yourself? Because I think we're so afraid to take up space, especially as parents. It's like, it's all about my kid. It's all about their growth. I want to make sure that they're okay. And so I take up as little space as possible. And really it's like, I don't even know. I feel like this new paradigm of parenting, we don't have that many examples, especially in our media or, um, you know, things that we're seeing online of people really modeling that and doing that, unless they're like, you know, millionaires and they have like six nannies.
2: <laughs> right, exactly. And I I loved it. One of my mentors, she has um four kids and she says, you know what? You know, everyone in the family gets one activity and that includes mom and dad. And if there's space for more, then we can add on more. But we're not going to give all of the kids all of the activities and then mom and dad get none. Like, that's not how they want the family unit to work. And for me, that mindset has been so helpful.
0: Wow, I love that. It's so true. Like, imagine if you saw parents... Taking dance class or taking art class the same way that they're seeing their children, like how much more fulfilled we would be how much more joyful our life would be and how much more balance we would have in our family unit instead of the parents, you know, constantly pouring out their cup until it's empty. I love that. And I love what you said about starting with changing the narrative, because this is a big theme for us in human design is the narrative the conditioning, the story. And most of us don't even realize that there is a narrative. We don't realize that we're subscribing to the narrative. We don't realize how deeply programmed that story is into like the cells of our body, right? Like our body has fear against breaking that narrative. So understanding that and really leaning into that and knowing that it's important to change those stories, like that limiting belief of like, I just can't, it's impossible. If we can start with that, and just even see the places that we have been subscribing to that i think that's the most powerful place to start so i love that so much and you know this this topic of parenthood and overwhelm and stress i think that this is maybe one of the biggest things that people are dealing with on a collective scale our 40-hour work week is designed with the idea that that's all you would be doing. You're not also managing the house or running the house. You're not also cooking the meals. You're not also grocery shopping, right? It was kind of designed with this idea in mind that one person would be working 40 hours. The other person would be working 40 hours doing all of the home things and the kid things and all of that. So when we have these parents that both parents are working full time, and you know, both parents are trying to squeeze in all of the other things. It just doesn't work, right? It's not conducive to a happy and joyful life. So, I'm really grateful to hear that we're having this conversation, right? And I think that's another thing that our poor parents have just been like swept under the rug, like, people are not talking about the real lived experience. You know, there's like even a stigma around really expressing maybe how challenging or difficult that is. Like, what would you say in your own journey just about being vulnerable and being honest? And like, how do you encourage people to be more real about what is really overwhelming or stressful for them?
2: Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. I've found that there is either this place where we're talking about the need for therapy and maybe some past trauma, or things are... Perfect and you're like vacationing once a quarter. <laughs> and the work that I do is really in the middle of that. It's, you know, I love therapy. I've been to therapy before, and and there's a space for that. But also when your life kind of is fine, but it's like the day-to-day struggles and challenges and overwhelm. And it's not a vacation every other weekend to just relax and do nothing where you said like the six nannies are <laughs> rotating with all your kids or whatever it is. It's okay, we're living you know, in modern parenthood and how do we navigate kind of how it's been set up as as a system and also giving ourselves permission. And that's really what I encourage my clients to do is give yourself permission to just not do any of it. Like you don't have to do all of this. Let's take a step back and, and see what do you want your life to look like? if you genuinely want all of those activities and you don't want any self-care for yourself, right? Then I would ask why. And typically that's not the case. Typically it's, I want my kids to be in activities because they want to be in activities and I want self-care. So I think it's coming to the table with like a different type of conversation as, as a team. I'm constantly saying in my family, like we're on the same team. It's not, me as, as mom trying to boss people around or control them, right? Which leads to nowhere. It's not successful and it creates so much resistance. And instead, it's if one person in the family is is, is struggling or if the calendaring and the, and the activities that we're doing and, and the busyness that we're involved in is overwhelming to us and we're kind of in this activated, almost stress response state, you know, let's pause and take a step back and come together as a family and talk about what do we want to even be doing? Why are we doing all of this? It's sort of like the idea that happiness is over there or that you're quote unquote better if you've done more or achieved more. I was listening to this book recently. I can't remember what it was called, but the author said we should be called human doings instead of human beings. And I was like Mm. that, right? Mic drop. It was like, I get that. And and so it's a reminder. It's it's not that you want to do less and just sit around. It's that you want to focus on creating the energy that you want to approach your life with and then take action from there so that you're coming from your life or you're approaching your life from a calm, energetic, open, aligned state. And and it it, it sounds a little bit like, okay, that sounds great, but also like there's this practical side of it. But I promise you that if you think about it in this way, you can make decisions through that lens and you can still participate in your activities and in your community but you have so much more energy for it and if you don't you say okay we're just not going to do that activity because i prioritize my well-being which kind of means my happiness i want to calm down my brain it's like natural tendency to go into fight flight where it's activated
1: and has this stress response you touched on a few things that I really want to get into, and one of them is our nervous system and what's going on with our nervous system when we feel triggered and when we are experiencing this overwhelm or um, like this busyness or this stress response um, within our daily life, whether that is as parents or even just as, a you know busy person in the workforce and trying to also take care of your home and live your life and be a good i put in quotes um human with all your meditations and all your practices and all the things you should do what what's going on with our nervous system in in these types of scenarios yeah so it's
2: interesting your nervous system was really conditioned when you were a child so everyone is going to be quote unquote triggered by different things i like to say it's not the actual thing that is either specifically triggering or not, it's the human brain that's perceiving it. So if you're triggered a lot by authority, that is probably likely from how you related to authority as a child. Or a really simple example is I get really triggered if there are a lot of flight changes to my you know, airfare or something. And and my husband is not at all. So his mom, my mother-in-law, is a flight attendant. And he grew up in airports. And he's just not bothered by it at all. And I I, I see my, my primitive brain sort of freaking out, thinking this is terrible. And I really have to calm myself down. So that's just a basic example. But really what's happening is your nervous system is designed to help you survive. So if you're really in a threatening situation. We want our nervous system to be triggered. As coaching someone once who who was in an abusive relationship, and you don't really want to stay calm then. That is a real reason why you would want to be activated. The problem, though, is most of the time, and most of my clients, I'm, I'm not working with that population. And The rest of us are in our modern day lives where we're safe in our homes and we get a call from our boss, or our flight is canceled and we're getting activated in a way that our brains weren't really designed to do. So we go into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, the four survival states. And it's not necessarily a problem as long as you can calm it down. The problem is when you're always in this activated state. So Each one of those states has different characteristics, but the gist of it is if you're constantly in this activated state, which is coming from your brain scanning for danger, so if it perceives a threat or danger, it will go into one of those states. And if you don't calm it down, it just has a lot of negative effects on your body, let alone just feeling terrible. You're going to be constantly stressed and constantly overwhelmed. And then that affects digestion. It affects your immunity. It, It affects your relationships because you're unable to think about things from um, put simply, like a more optimistic place. You're always kind of looking for worst case scenario, and so what you want to do is calm that nervous system down, which is possible. A lot of times we just think, "Oh, I'm just like this," and really you can reprogram your brain to calm that nervous system down. So, for example, the last time this happened with the flight changes, it was several months ago, but I was allowing, I was really getting in my body and allowing myself to breathe through it and remind myself that. I'm not going to die, brain. I can calm down. It's sort of being dramatic and sort of understanding that you can condition that response to decrease instead of, if we're not aware that this is even possible, we might even build more resistance onto it so it gets even worse.
1: So interesting. So as you're speaking, I'm like thinking of all the different things that mine's like triggered. And I get into a fight or flight with either bugs or with crumbs. And I grew up, my my home growing up was like a hoarder house. And I talked about my childhood a lot on this podcast, but the feeling of not being able to escape the like filth and the dirtiness. And like, I would wake up with bugs on me and and like always roaches in my shower, like just a lot of like traumatic to me things that now as an adult, you know, other people who don't know, it's like, why are you getting so triggered? Like, just don't be dramatic. It's a bug. Or or I can't sit in booths at restaurants because I feel my, in my body, the crumbs like that are often in the booth seats. Like when you sit on the booth seat, it pushes down the seat and the crumbs and the crack are revealed. When I was younger, like maybe in college, I would have like straight up panic attacks sometimes just from seeing a roach or from being like stuffed stuffed at the end of a booth and I wouldn't be able to cal- calm down from that. I've had a lot of different therapy and things like that because, you know, this is like a big trauma thing, but now I notice that it's such a, a body response that I do calm myself down from and I feel it as if I'm observing my body like I would be observing a muscle that is contracting or tensing. And I feel my body, the perfect example is I went on a trip with my husband, um, with his family, and a roach like ran through where we were seated. And my body went into such a fight or flight that Um, I was wearing like this device that measures your heart rate. And my heart rate was like 120 something. And I was like trying to calm myself down. He's like, it's okay. Like you're safe, you're fine. Every time that I went to take a drink out of my um, cocktail... I had to like look at my drink because the ice I kept thinking was like a roach in my cup, like hitting my mouth. And it was like this literally like fight or flight. And I was thinking to myself, like, this is my body's response. Like my mind knows that it's ice cubes in my cup. Like my mind knows that I am safe and I'm fine. And like breathing through that with Brian there and just trying to calm my nervous system. Is there, I mean, for me, it really helped with the breath and with talking about it and not having like this internal experience that I'm trying to hide. Cause that oftentimes I found makes my fight or flight feel even more unsafe because now I'm trying to hide. But are there any other pr- tools or things that people can do when they, when they like observe their body going into this fight or flight to kind of calm that down and come back into a safe? space it within their body? Because like I said, it's like my mind knows, but my body is like taking a while to catch up. Yeah. So a couple things here. It's really um, good to acknowledge how
2: helpful that survival state was for you when you were a child. That was necessary. Like we needed that. You needed that. That's how all of our nervous systems developed. It's not like Like for me, I I went into a lot of fun, a lot of people-pleasing, a lot of um, being aware of other people's cues. Growing up, my dad was an alcoholic. And so that really served me well to be able to tell like instantly whether he was drinking or not. And so throughout childhood, our nervous system is adapting to our environment. And what was really useful then, uh, assuming we're growing and we're not in that environment anymore, as adults is just no longer useful. So we want to have such compassion for that part of you and almost approach it like with loving kindness, but to use a tool that I call it sort of like your lower brain and your higher brain, your toddler brain and your adult brain. It's sort of using that adult brain to reparent that lower brain, that toddler brain. it's like, we don't want to let the toddler brain go wild because while well, it's well-intended, like you said, you were safe, there was nothing to worry about. And so it's kind of, sometimes you can talk to it and really kind of coach yourself just by saying, it's okay, I'm safe right here. It's okay to feel what I'm feeling, whether it's anxiety or nervousness. And also I'm going to choose to drink this drink, like living in both of that. So you're honoring it and acknowledging it and you're deciding from that prefrontal cortex, your future focus. You know, brain, your human brain, your adult brain, what you want to do. And so that's how you can really um, start to change that kind of response. It's, it's a lot of repetition as well. And this, like you said, it was a little bit more traumatic in your instance. Or example, but it could also just be for, I coach a lot of moms who want to stop yelling at their kids and they're really triggered by their kids' behavior and sort of having compassion for yourself and understanding, of course, my brain is scanning the environment for a threat or danger. And my daughter's kind of throwing silverware at each other is a threat or a danger. Now, is my survival threatened? No, my lower brain doesn't really know that. And so it's so quick to yell And I get triggered by that. And so what we want to do is really understand the feelings that we're feeling in that moment and the framework with which we're viewing it. So are we mad at ourselves? Are we beating ourselves up? Are we thinking they shouldn't be doing this? I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't have to yell. There's a lot of judgment there. And instead, approaching it from this place of, oh, this is a normal response. Maybe you grew up with a lot of yelling. Maybe you've been in the habit of it for the last 10 years. Whatever it is, your brain thinks it's a normal response. So having compassion for that part of your brain and also deciding to show up on purpose how you want. And like it took maybe 10 years of practice to get into that habit, it does take practicing the new habit for it to become a habit. But you know, if you're not in a rush, if you have so much compassion and love for yourself, then it's okay. We don't have to solve this problem tomorrow. We just need to be practicing the new way of calming ourselves down and showing up on
1: purpose. Mm, I love that so much. And the compassion piece of like being compassionate and loving that part of yourself, but also choosing a different action. So helpful. And also the example of yelling at your kids um, because that triggered feeling of like it's unsafe. And then that fight or flight kicking in as a parent, I can only imagine. Wow.
0: Oh, I just was curious, you talked about the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Obviously, I think I know a little bit about what fight and flight means, but can you talk about like, what are those different responses? Like, what's the difference between a freeze response or a fawn response?
2: Yeah, really good question. So I'm going to give you kind of
0: the basic um,
2: explanation because I think that's the most helpful one <laughs> to kind of remember. So fight, if you think about fighting, right, except it's turn inward. So it's like anger, Towards yourself, like if you're really feeling frustrated or mad, that's like that fight. Um, a lot of, you know, I can identify this when I was younger. I was always about fairness and injustices and like sort of this this fight energy that you approach life with, or your brain thinks is the most useful flight interestingly can be a lot of perfectionist tendencies it's it's not necessarily you're running away although it can be but most commonly at least with my clients it's doing and going like you will not pause and slow down in fact i find it so challenging to persuade my clients to do what i call 10 minutes of silence or i'll try to get them to do 3 minutes of silence and i get it it's 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 almost like we want to blame time but when i shorten it down to like 1 or 3 minutes it's like we all have that and yet sitting down. I challenge everyone listening to do this. Just sit and do nothing for three minutes. And if you are someone who is in a lot of flight, this will be very challenging for you. One of my clients emailed me and she said, I tried it and it was terrible. And I was like, yes, go try it for 30 <laughs> more days and then right back. And she said, I love it. Because as much as we say we want to get out of overwhelm and we, we believe it, that's that parent part of our brain, it's true, but our bodies are in the habit. I'm like, you have a decade of practicing the feeling of overwhelm. So it's gonna be very uncomfortable to change that. So flight is where you're going, 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 kind of trying to prove your worth, be better all of the time, and you really just can't take a break and you feel guilty doing it fight, flight. Um, Freeze is sort of where you shut down. This can be a lot of feelings of overwhelm and taken to the extreme can be feelings of depression and and sort of it's your brain is interpreting whatever is in your environment as it's like not even worth it to to try. Like, we're just going to go inward. and, And you think of typical overwhelm, it's like, throwing up your hands. This is not even worth it. It's impossible. I just can't even handle this. Um, and fun, which is one that I didn't know about before this work, but I, again, could identify with personally, it's the people-pleasing. It's maybe, I'll use my example, growing up in an alcoholic family, kind of scanning the environment all of the time for, you know, how can I make sure everyone is safe and happy? And what do, who do I need to be to make that happen to the extent that I can? So, People in Fawn, it's a lot of kind of giving at your own expense, meaning you would rather have everyone in your family be happy and you're like miserable. And I don't think we intellectually say that, but that if we reflect on our lives, that is what's happening. So even just having these four frameworks to think about can be really helpful. And I joke that um, I used to be so type A and, and I'm not anymore. And part of that is just noticing a lot of my quote-unquote type A was just perfectionism and people-pleasing. And that activated nervous system where, again, I wouldn't have said this out loud, but what was happening was I didn't necessarily feel like it was safe to just sit down and do nothing. And what a gift it has been. I promise you, if you're listening and you think that that sounds impossible, keep working on this and growing because it is possible and it's amazing. I just do nothing sometimes (laughs) and I love it. Like, there's no guilt. There's no I should be. There's like there's joy in this moment right here. And it sounds cliche, but it truly makes your life so much better regardless of what is happening
0: in your circumstances. Wow. Okay. I have never heard those four described in that way. And it's like a light bulb moment to hear this description because I think that I had kind of like my own version that I didn't read anywhere. I just like took the name of the word and was like, must mean this. So to hear those different descriptions is so fascinating. And as you're speaking, you know, of course, probably everyone listening, including me, has been thinking about, okay, what are my triggers? What are the things that have really created a response in me? And then I can look at there's kind of different things that maybe give me different responses. Like I kind of share with you, I also grew up with my dad being an alcoholic, and um, definitely was very in tune with like what do I need to do to make sure everything is okay? And I'm the last person on my list that I care about. So I think that that fun response is something that I felt a lot, especially with, you know, in group settings, when I'm with my family, when I'm with friends, I can really sacrifice myself and feel like I put everyone else in front of me. So I really resonate with that. And then I can also think of things that trigger me like, um, getting in trouble or like, you know, someone giving you criticism where I feel actually the, the fight an internal anger, like my whole body just gets red, like my face is red and I'm so mad at myself or, you know, filled with self-hatred, you know, on kind of like an unconscious level. So it's interesting to see, you know, different triggers maybe give me different responses and to w- to see all of those things as just a dysregulated nervous system. And how can I witness that and have compassion for maybe why I'm reacting in that way, but then also choosing choosing something else. Yeah, you really
2: summed it up perfectly there at the end with just being aware of it and having compassion for yourself through it, which I think is a lifetime journey in and of itself. We all want to be more compassionate towards ourselves, but I don't know about you. My brain is crazy (laughs) and so critical and judgmental. I I joke, I lost our car not that long ago and I, I found it. But during that process, and I do this work for a living, I was so harsh. The things I was saying to myself, I was like, how could I do this? This is so stupid. Like I'm ridiculous. And, um, in the moment I allowed myself to just breathe through it and kind of ignore those thoughts and then just put my brain to work on more helpful questions. Like what can we try next? Where can we find it? But then the next day I really sat down and, and did some mindful journaling and coached myself to, to say, okay, when I do something that is a mistake or is, is, not what I expected or is a surprise? When I get it all wrong, how do I want to treat myself? I think that's such a powerful question for us to answer because it's a lot easier to give yourself a pat on the back when you're doing it right. But how do you want to treat yourself when your nervous system is activated, when you get it all wrong, when things don't go as planned? Do you want to be harsh and critical with yourselves? Because I think that inner self-talk is harsh and critical on default but you can choose to have more loving kindness
0: towards yourself um, and make it a practice. Yeah, that is beautiful. And we say a lot with our relationship as business partners, but also best friends, something that has been such a blessing is that you know, when I make a mistake, I forget to email someone or, you know, I do something that has a typo. I can be so hard on myself. And Shana's like, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Like, you know, we'll fix it. We'll do it next time. And I'm like, wow, it's so beautiful to get that kind of like forgiveness or uh, validation. And it's so easy for me to do the same for her. So I've really been able to learn, like, how can I speak to myself the way I would to a sister, to my inner child, to someone that I'm nurturing. Um, And that is of course a practice and a journey. So I love that. And I love what you talk about with it being habitual, you know, creating a new habit and recognizing how long you've been in that habit. Like just giving that awareness, like, okay, it's going to take some practice then. It's going to, you know, how can I be patient with myself, but also be dedicated to making that change?
2: Yeah. And remembering too, that it's your body that's in the habit of that. So you can learn this. And hopefully you're learning some things from what we're talking about here. But I find with myself and some of my clients, we almost expect that once we learn it, our bodies know it. And that's not the case. And so like me, who's been doing this for years, you lose your car and you find yourself talking to yourself in that way. It can be easy to then add on judgment to the negative self-talk, which is just not useful. And I like to say, I'm a human being. Of course, this is work to be done. Of course, there's still more work to do. And there's no kind of point where it ends. But if we love ourselves through it and give ourselves grace, even when we're being judgmental, it's like coming back to remembering your humanness. I like to say I'm a human mom, not a robot mom (laughs) to kind of ground myself in that truth and um, just make it a practice that I continue to do to the
1: Yeah. Beautiful. And as you're sharing all this, I'm just thinking about all the correlations in human design. I mean, you having this undefined root center and that is this feeling when out of alignment of wanting to do, 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 and feeling like, you can't turn it off. And I have the same thing. And I really associate that in hearing your description of flight. And so there's this big theme in human design that's talk- that talks about, you know, your nature versus your nurture and, you know, what comes inherently to you and is in your design and what is your conditioning. And, you know, these, these points in our childhood and how our nervous system is kind of programmed throughout our early years and that being a big part of our conditioning that we don't necessarily realize, and it's not labeled in human design, you know, you can't label that, but we can look at and say, oh, this is why this has been a big lesson or a big thing that you that you have conditioning on because of the experiences that your nervous system has gone through and in your body, and you have this undefined root center, so it can be like more easily leaned into that response versus ha- if you were to have it defined like i'm sure your husband probably does and feeling like it doesn't matter if the flights are changed and his conditioning really supported that so it's just so fascinating hearing you share because our human design minds are just connecting everything there but now having this lens of really understanding and observing and giving compassion and choosing a different choice with your nervous system i think is so helpful and yeah, I, I didn't. I always thought that it was or, fight or flight. Like, that's one thing. I didn't realize that it's like fight, flight, <laughs> freeze, or fawn. And I really don't actually identify at all with fight, at uh, with anything, but flight all day long and a little bit of fawn. So it's just like really, I'm just excited to observe this and sit with it. And, just start feeling my body in this with this new level of awareness.
2: I love that. Um, just listening to your podcast and following your work, I find that um, all of the mindfulness stuff that I talk about is is one way of thinking about it, and then your way. There's so much overlap, and I find that with all of teachings from different teachers, it, it's just adding to that awareness that helps you see things. Even if it's similar, it's like in a different way that adds this whole new layer of perspective that I find to be just um, amazing and helpful
0: in, in real life. Yeah, absolutely. We always like to say that like there's many different ways to truth. There's many different paths to truth. And we really like to encourage people to taste test things like what actually works for you, what is actually helpful for you and meaningful for you. And we love when we come across like a new concept or a new modality that you can kind of like add to your arsenal and you have this really well-rounded toolkit for those moments where you are struggling, those moments where you are feeling overwhelmed, et cetera. And the concept of this hustle culture, busyness culture. This is also another huge thing that we talk about so much in human design. Like we really don't realize how much we live in this society that only values linear, consistent, straightforward, you know, constant progress, constant change. And, you know, I think that the structures that have been built on that are really starting to crumble. And we're kind of moving into a new space where we realize that doesn't work for any of us, right? Like none of us feel really like supported in forcing ourselves to be so consistent and in creating that space. Like I love that exercise you talked about of just doing nothing for even three minutes and how absolutely challenging that can be to some of us. I mean, that's crucial, right? And it really, to see the ways that when you can integrate that, that that actually puts you into a space of, safety of inner abundance of like kind of trusting your self-worth as an inherent self-worth as a human being not just as a doer right that conversation of like human doer versus human being
2: yeah absolutely and I think that sometimes it can sound um like oh wouldn't that be nice to just be calm and do nothing but it's so critical like to your health and well-being like your your brain was not designed to be activated and triggered. I like to think of like a lion who, who you know, if there's a predator and they're really activated, right? Their survival is at risk. So their stress response is at risk. And they're going to do whatever lions do, fight or leave, whatever. And then they're going to go sit under a tree and hang out. <laughs> Our version of that is we're activated by all of these modern things, modern problems in our lives, and we are never, some of us, never turning it off and getting into that parasympathetic state where it's calm and it's ease. And it's so important for your immunity, for your health, for your digestion, for your well-being as like a human. And if you are in the habit of Having that stress response activated, even just starting so small with the three minutes of silence every day, or, you know, this is a little bit bigger, but just choosing one thing that to you is a few moments of creativity, whatever that is, it's like it's allowing yourself to live in the calm and seeing that. Oh, the world is fine if I'm not in that uh, activated state. I think it's just
0: so important to um, our modern lives and, and where we're going. Wow. That's so beautiful. And it's interesting. I think our world is really awakening and changing because this conversation around our nervous system is something that I literally knew nothing about. I'm going to go ahead and say five years ago, never heard anyone talking about it. And in fact, when Shana and I were kind of just like thinking about anxiety and why does this happen in our body and things like that, started learning a little bit about this. We're like, wait, what? Like, how come we weren't taught this from a young age? Right. And it's interesting to see the world kind of catching up. It's so powerful to be getting to share these conversations and for us to get to learn from people like you who are leading in this space, because I think this awareness is like a crucial missing piece that we haven't really had access to. And my brother actually is someone who has struggled with a lot of stress. He has a uh, PTSD and he's been going to therapy recently. And, you know, sometimes he'll tell me like, hey, I just need a second to regulate my nervous system. I'm feeling a bit dysregulated. I'm like, excuse me? Like, this is like revolutionary for me to hear him say this, to have this language and for all of us to be like, oh, great, cool. Let's all s- just hold space for you where you can take a second to calm down. Like the fact that we're sharing these conversations and that, in my life, like my brother's the last person I would ever think that would be saying this. So it's really beautiful to see the way it supports our lives, the way it's just such a a beneficial tool. So I'm grateful that everyone listening can come to your work and can continue to learn from you and can continue to learn how to understand their own experience through this lens. So I would love for you to share a bit about what offerings you have and how people can work with you.
2: Yeah, I feel called to just share one more tool. When you are talking about um, uh, your brother, I don't know why it reminded me of this, but um, I think just thinking about people in our lives who maybe don't do this work. So I love thought work, I love personal development, I love mindfulness, I love your podcast, all of these things, right? And my husband like supports me, but he doesn't have the same passion for that, and I would guess that a lot of your listeners may be in that space as well. So something that we do as a family is during our our nighttime routine, we just all go around and name our top three feelings from the day and what we were thinking that created those feelings. And we make it like a light and fun activity. And there's no pressure. I'm not, you know, thinking Steve better say, you know, connected because of me or something. It's, it's really personal, but it's a way to include everyone in the family and really to to teach emotional awareness to our kids so they have that language oh i'm feeling anger oh i'm feeling frustrated oh i'm feeling anxious or or happy or delighted and kind of increase that emotional awareness the emotional vocabulary and to normalize all feelings and hopefully that just kind of like you said has this ripple effect
1: for all of us to to become more emotionally aware wow i love that so much i'm going to do it tonight i can't wait I love it. So
2: cool. Yeah. So um, my name is Natalie Bacon. I have a podcast, the Design Your Dream Life podcast. I have a mindfulness community for moms called Grow You. And you can find out all about me and all of my offerings and teachings um, on Instagram at Natalie Bacon Coaching. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for being here. I learned so much and I'm fascinated in this conversation. So I know all of our listeners are too. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today.
2: Right back at you. I'm so glad that you are coming on my podcast as well. So it's a perfect match.
1: Thank you. Thank you for everyone listening as well. This is conversation was just so good. I loved learning about this. And now I'm already just can't wait to start just observing my life with this deeper lens and with human design. But as you know, you can connect with any of our offerings on our website, daylunalife.com, on Instagram at dayluna, and you can pre-order your copy of our book right now on our website. You're going to want to pre-order and not wait till January to get it because you get all the pre-sale perks, including a chance to win free tuition for our human design reader training. And this month, we actually drew our first winner and that's so exciting. And next month in October, we are going to be drawing our final second winner for that training.
0: So you can pre-order it at our website
1: on daylunalife.com.
0: Yeah. So thank you so much for everyone who tuned into this episode and learned about triggers and nervous system with us. Like, I genuinely thought this was so fascinating. I'm feeling like maybe we'll talk about something in this realm in our online membership, Your Human Design Besties, because that has been our favorite place to just get to share our own journeys in a deeper way and really connect with our besties and learn from their experience. And it's just been amazing, you know, to have people who are excited about the same things that you're excited about, to be learning every month about new things that we can integrate into our journeys, to be able to share that and witness each other. It's been such a joy. So if you're thinking about joining our online community, you can also check that out on our, um, website, daylunalife.com. But thank you so much for being here with us. We hope that this conversation was illuminating for you and we hope you have a beautiful rest of your day.